There are five generations with people in the workforce today. Traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, and Generation Z. How are they different? And more importantly, what does it mean for schools? It's everything from recruiting teachers. It's how the school board members interact with each other because you may have different generations on your school board. Uh, your superintendent and your cabinet may be of different generations. So it's really an issue that covers all areas of education. What do school leaders need to keep in mind when communicating with parents of a certain age? Should principals work with older teachers in different ways than teachers in their 20s? You've got to keep in mind who that person is what their learning style is like and how you're going to coach them. Are they someone that desperately needs that face-to-face, that regular ongoing feedback? Or is it more just kind of the quick check-in, hey, looks good, think about improving this, you know, I respect the work that you're doing. From Frontline Education, this is Field Trip. And just remember that millennials are about more than avocado toast. (laughs) No matter how good it is. No matter how good it is. Today, my guests are Ian Halperin and Aaron McCann. Ian works at Wiley Independent School District just outside of Dallas, Texas, as the Executive Director of Communications and Community Relations. Aaron is the Director of Communications at Crandall ISD, also near Dallas. Although they work in different districts, they know each other well. And here's something really important to our topic today. Aaron is a millennial. She's been working in school PR for about four and a half years. Ian is a bit older. He's been in school PR for more like 20 years, and he's part of Generation X. Well, we are talking today about cross-generational communication. And I'm curious, Ian, I know that you have been a mentor to Aaron for uh, a while. What differences have the two of you seen in how you communicate? Well, uh, I'm a lot cooler than I am. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I tend to talk in full sentences and use all my vowels and punctuation, um, unlike some of my younger friends who uh, abbreviate and things I don't understand. You know, it, it's it, it's not a huge difference. I think a lot of it is subtle. Um, I, I joke about the punctuation and the emojis, but um, they're really just tools. And so whether you communicate in formal AP style or in emojis and other icons. Um, It's really just a style. And so I think the challenge is meshing those styles to make sure that however you're communicating, whoever you're communicating to, uh, you're meeting them where they are. I think this is a really interesting time in the professional world because you do have so many different generations. And I know that we'll get into that a little bit. You know, you mentioned you mentioned that Ian has been a mentor to me, and he has. He's been a mentor and a friend for many years before I was even formally working in school PR. But almost equally, I've sort of served as a reverse mentor because what, what you have is people who have been doing this job for a long time, and what they have on their side is experience and the knowledge of what has worked traditionally and what has not worked. And what you've got with some of the younger generations is not that wealth of experience, But a certain level of energy and school PR particularly and definitely education requires a lot of energy to be effective. And so at least in my friendship with Ian, sometimes he might be just a little bit beaten down. And I'm like, no, 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 but look at it this way. Um, And coming in just from a different angle, whereas for me, when I'm going to Ian, it's more, hey, I've, I've got this issue. I have this idea, but you've done this before. Is there a better way to get there? And so that's that, that's sort of where I see the generational gap is, is how our friendship benefits the other person, if that makes any sense at all. I asked Ian and Aaron, in a professional world like education, 
Some people might wonder why this issue even needs our time at all. I mean, sure, they both work in district communications offices. It might make sense to think through how to send out information in the best way to reach people. Are we using the right media? Are we using language that people understand? But really, do principals need to keep generational differences in mind? Do superintendents? Do teachers? And Ian said, absolutely. This issue matters in ways that may not be obvious all across a district. We quickly realized that it's more than that. It's everything from recruiting teachers. It's how the school board members interact with each other because you may have different generations on your school board. Uh, your superintendent and your cabinet may be of different generations. So it's really an issue that covers all areas of education. And so we, we've really worked hard to kind of expand that. Um, again, it, it's about having the messaging and getting to make sure make sure it's falling on the right people's ears. Well, and I think it's about feedback and growth as well, especially when we talk about our internal audiences with if you've got a principal who's looking to grow their staff or maybe you've got a superintendent, maybe a new superintendent who's working with cabinet members of different generations. How do you help each one of your employees reach their potential? How do they need to hear that information? How can you coach them up? Uh, different generations need to hear that information in different ways. Let's imagine a scenario where you have several different generations and they're not able to connect as effectively as they would like to. What are some of the downstream negative effects that one could expect to see there? Well, I know some of the research shows talking about some of our older generations, the traditionalists and the, you know, sort of the greatest generation. And they're not so much in the workforce anymore, but they're still around. Um, and then your baby boomers, which are still kind of the people leading your districts, for those older generations, um, it's really about respect. You know, I've, I've been in this career a long time. I've seen more things happen in the world and you should respect me because I'm in this role. Whereas with some of your younger generations, that respect has to be earned. It's not just given because you've been there the longest. Absolutely. You don't, no one retires from the same place that they started as an 18 year old and is given a pocket watch after 35 years. That almost never happens hmm. anymore. Well, let's dig a little bit more into uh, those different generations then. You, you know, you already mentioned uh, a couple of them. You have those who were born earlier in the 20th century, fought in World War II, the ones whom Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. Then you have the baby boomers born after the war through the mid-60s. You have Generation X, and I'll raise my hand there right at the <laughs> tail end. You have uh, millennials born roughly between the mid, uh, between the early 80s and mid-90s. And then Generation Z, those born after 90s. 95. So those dates and labels might shift a little bit depending on where you look, but I think people will know who we're talking about. Can you give just a brief snapshot, a, a paint a picture of each one of these? Well, sure. I think one of the things that we talk a lot about is, um, you know, where do they get their news from? That's an important thing for us being in communications. And when you look at those older generations, I mean, they are used to turning on the TV news and listening to a respected anchor and that's the person they trust. And if it comes from them, it's an absolute truth. They're not looking for multiple points of view. They're just looking for the point of view that reassures theirs. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got Generation Z and, and even Gen Y where, you know, they're going to find the news source that fits their beliefs. Mm -hmm. There are enough people out there. And, and you can define news source as anything from a mommy blogger to a website to a Facebook page to a guy with a microphone. I mean, today you're our news source. So, you know, where you choose to get your news really varies by the generation. And the younger generations, you know, it's, it is the rise of the citizen journalist. And what's good about that is that you don't have to wait for your your hourly news cycle and hope that, you know, that's going to turn over tomorrow. It's kind of ongoing. But on the opposite end of that, 
is journalists aren't trained the way that they used to be, where you really take your time investigating a story and you get a balanced story because it's the immediacy and the need to get the information out there as quickly as possible. So sometimes you don't get the other side of it. And, and that's really the risk that we're running into going to how our younger generations are getting their news sources is just what is the most immediate information in front of me. I mean, I can tell you myself that the first thing I do in the morning before I even get out of bed is I scroll through my Twitter feed to see if anything important happened while I was sleeping and I check my email account and that's before my feet hit the floor. So if it's on Twitter, I'm sort of interpreting it as factual news when in fact there, there's nothing saying that it actually is. So that's sort of a risk that you run into. That strikes me as dangerous to consider very, everything on Twitter. <laughs> very dangerous. <laughs> Where people get their news might be a big difference between generations, but it's not the only one. I asked Ian and Aaron, for those in educational leadership, what is the most important generational difference to be aware of? Well, I think, I think it depends on your role within the organization. Uh, for Aaron and I being the communications people, then obviously, yes, that's important. But, you know, for a principal, a school board member, um, that may not be the most important thing you need to look at. Um, Aaron talked about the idea of respect, and we talk a lot about that here in Wiley. You know, there's a certain amount of respect that older generations feel they just have because they're there, because they did the job that you're doing. They have the experience. They have the knowledge. And young people just don't buy into that anymore. Um, respect is something that's earned. It's something that has to be earned daily. They feel like they have respect just for being born. Mm -hmm. You know, they come into that classroom and, and they want respect just because they're there. And for even even on the teacher side, you know, that, that may not be the case. They may not respect their students the way they need to. Um, you know, every generation has its values. And so you have to tap into that. So it, it's not, it, it really just comes back to what is your role within the district and how you're going to use that to identify those different groups and work within them. I think we do see that a lot with our students too, uh, particularly our high school students that are kind of coming into their own and they're not quite adults, but they, they very nearly are. And, you know, there's this, this constant rhetoric of, I need respect. I need respect. I deserve respect. This person didn't respect me. And that is, as Ian said, something that we, we see a lot with some of our younger generations. And you mentioned all of the generations there earlier, but the, the newest one, these are actually our kids that are not even in high school yet. Um, they're kind of casually calling Generation Alpha. And these are the kids that I believe were born after 2010. And I apologize, I don't have that number in front of me. I looked it up. Generation Alpha is made up of those born between 2010 and 2025. We actually found that because when we started talking about all of this and presenting on these topics, I'm like, what is my daughter going to be? She was born in 2013. Who is this kid? And what is that going to look like when she's an adult? And She's going to rule the world. Oh, isn't she? I know. She's totally going to rule the world. <laughs> well, let's look a little bit at how these differences play out in schools. I'm sure this matters both in how leaders interact with parents and the community in roles like those that you have, as well as how they interact with employees. And let's start with parents and the community. What do we need to keep in mind about cross-generational communication in this area? Well, I think it's it, it's reaching parents where they are. And again, we're looking at this kind of from a, a school PR communication standpoint, because that's the work that we do. But mm -hmm. I, I think this is beneficial for everyone, regardless of their role. How do you get information to your parents? In the old days, you know, when Ian started school PR, the old days. Um, stone tablets and <laughs> exactly, smoke when, signals. When you were etching things in stone, um, there was a lot of printed information being sent out. I was kind of the, the rise of the print shop and lots of newsletters, things like that. And as we've seen technology increase, almost everything has gone digital, which is great because it's more immediate, but you do run the risk 
of missing some of those generations who don't prefer to get their information. I was I was thinking about some of the things that I wanted to talk about with you today. And I was thinking about um, the traditionalists, the, the eldest generation that we still have alive and who that is, because, you know, my my 90-year-old grandparents are of the greatest generation. They're, they're obviously not still in the workforce, but they are active in our school communities. So when we as school districts go out and, and say we're hoping to sell a bond and we've got to start these presentations, you would be crazy to overlook your senior citizen communities. And they're not going to get on Facebook. They are not going to wait for an email blast to get that information. You have to go out and physically find them. And that's that's kind of the best way to communicate with them is either with that printed material or physically being present in front of them. Well, we were talking earlier just about snow days. You know, your kids still love snow days. And, you know, when I first started, um, you had two ways. You had the call tree to take care of staff, which was on a phone. And then as a communications person, I had a list of secret codes and phone numbers to call the TV stations. Right. And so radio, if you were going to yeah. delay school, I mean, you know, you'd have to watch your name crawl across the bottom. Right. You know, but now – um, with the information systems we have and, and the mass distribution systems we have, I can send an email to 20,000 people and make 15,000 calls in under five minutes. So on my flow chart, traditional media is the last thing I call. Exactly. Um, Same you know, because they're just, and of course we're a W. So in the Metroplex, we're going to be the last thing. It's, it's going to be noon before our name gets up. Um, but again, it's utilizing that. And, and we also talk a lot about sphere of influence um, with social media you know, most communities are going to have the local paper that, that's read by the diehard people, kind of like Aaron was saying, the grandparents. But, you know, I have more people on my Facebook page in a day than they have total circulation. So it is one of my methods, but it's certainly not the only method. What about internally? I'm sure that a Generation X principal, for example, would interact differently with, say, a veteran teacher who is uh, 20 years older than he or she is than they would with a new teacher who might be a millennial. How, do, how does all this play out when we think about inside the school or inside the district relationships? Well, I kind of think about it in terms of like coaching and feedback. Um, so your, your younger generations actually mirror some of the eldest generations, which we found very interesting in the fact that they like lots of feedback. Um, I'm a millennial. I'm an old millennial, which I might mention, we didn't define that. There are two kinds of millennials. Either you remember the Oregon Trail as a game or you don't remember <laughs> the Oregon Trail. I'm an old millennial. Um, but my boss is a Gen X. So we're not that far apart in age, I'd say. Uh, actually, I'm not going to say in case she listens to this podcast and I get <laughs> the number wrong. Um, we're just not that far apart in age. But even in the way that we communicate, she may send a quick text to me about something that she needs to address. And that text is very one plain sentence, whereas my response back would probably be a lot more flowery with lots and lots of detail. So I might think that she's mad at me or that I haven't done something, but all I have to do is walk down to her office and have that conversation in person and everything's fine. And so kind of going back to your original question about the principal and the different teachers, you've got to keep in mind who that person is, what their learning style is like, and how you're going to coach them. Are they someone that desperately needs that face-to-face, -face, that regular ongoing feedback or is it more just kind of the quick check-in, hey, looks good, think about improving this, um, you know, I respect the work that you're doing, and so on. That's really interesting what you just said, because those are some of the aspects of how we communicate that oftentimes, you know, Myers-Briggs or the DISC profile or other personality tests get at, rather than necessarily being generational divides. And do you see overlap there as well? 
I think you definitely have certain personality types, regardless of your your age or your generation. Um, but then you also see a lot of this sort of bracketing by by the era in which you grew up, which makes sense because certain things that go on in the world influence your life and influence the way that you need to interact with people. Well, and that's part of the thing that we we caution people on is, you know, yes, you can bracket people and yes, there's individual styles, but, you know, don't stereotype. It's like anything else. No one wants to be grouped in. We, we kind of make fun of, you know, you any day you can look on your Facebook feed and see the top 10 things millennials don't want you to know or right. why are baby boomers ruining the world. I mean, there's lots of tongue in cheek kind of um, clickbait things to get you out there with those terms. And so we need to kind of rise above that, especially if you're a supervisor, a principal, an administrator, and, and not get too caught up in that because there's always going to be individuals within those groups. And that's what, like you talk about the disk survey, those kind of things. Um, it's good to have that information because that way you can really reach in and, and know who you're talking to, know what they're what drives them, what motivates them, and therefore hopefully be a better boss to them and have them be a better employee in return. And just remember that millennials are about more than avocado toast. <laughs> no matter how good it is. No matter how good it is. That's right. So what are the uh, what would you say are the wider, the broader implications of, of all of this on things like hiring or leadership development or even teacher evaluations? What I'm trying to do is get at as we think about generational differences, where are the specific areas and how does it play out in some of these really important facets of the job that a principal might face or that a department head might face in a school district? Well, I think you still have to have the basic understanding. You know, they say that millennials want more feedback from their managers um, and they want it on a more regular basis. That They're not content with the once a year evaluations. And I know that's difficult because in the education system, you've got evaluation tools that pretty much every state requires. But that doesn't mean you can't have the casual conversation every six weeks, every four weeks. I think especially with a newer teacher or a newer employee, they're used to, because of the way they get their news and information, they're used to immediate feedback. And if you're not providing that to them, they're going to be frustrated. On the other side, you know, I don't know that the days of people, like Aaron said, working somewhere for 35 years and getting a watch, I think those days are gone, and really in any age group. Um, mm. I, I'm, I'm kind of a minority. I've, I've worked really three places in the time I've been out of college. I think that's because I chose the place as well. But, but they're really there to see what can I get out of this job? What kind of experience can I get? Is there potential for me to grow? Do they respect me as a person and as a professional? If not, then you know what? I'm going to move on. And more times than not, it may be to a whole other career. They're not afraid to jump careers like other people of other generations would never do. That's true. So in, in this day and age when many, many places are finding are having a hard time finding enough teachers to fill vacancies in a school district, what is the action step there? How can we take this information and use it in order to in order to retain people, in order to attract people, in order to make sure that we've got the best teaching workforce? Well, I think that this is a very clear message to school districts and to all businesses, honestly, even outside of K-12, about having a strong work culture. I mean, we know companies that do that incredibly well. Southwest Airlines has been you know, nominated worldwide for their strong culture. There are some other ones I could throw out there, too, but you know, they probably didn't pay for advertising, so we won't give them that shout out. <laughs> but um, you know, I am talked a little bit about um, your millennials and your Gen Z and the need for feedback. It, it's not just feedback and ongoing growth, but also we've, we're starting to see studies about how younger professionals are extremely cause oriented and how they'll, um, they'll gravitate to career paths and to jobs 
where money is a part of it. It's part of the reason because you all have to pay your bills and support your families, but they don't necessarily take a job or leave a job because of the financial component. That's just one piece. Um, there's a great meme out there that people love to share when they're dissatisfied in their career, talking about how people don't leave jobs, they they leave bosses. And you know, I, I do think to some degree that is true because if you've got a strong work culture, if you value your employees, if you make them feel valued, and if you're finding continual areas for them to grow as professionals, they're more likely to stay and to buy into that same culture, which then helps with your teacher retention and your recruitment and so on and so forth. What about collaboration? That's a a buzzword, right? We hear that all the time. Uh, I use that quite a bit. How do you foster intergenerational collaboration? Well, I think Erin touched on earlier, as much as I was a mentor to her, she certainly has been a mentor to me. Um, and they call it reverse mentoring, which I'm not really sure why. It's it's still the same function. You want to be effective. I, th- I think just about everybody wants to be good in their job. And the reality of it is there's five generations working together, and I don't think that's going to change for a long time. So if you're going to be successful at whatever level you're at or whatever career you're in, um, you've got to figure out how to do that. And so seek out someone at work. It may be a team member, maybe someone teaching the same subject. Uh, for me, it was someone in the same profession, you know, and, and they talk about, you know, hiring for your weakness. I mean, when I have the opportunity to hire, I'm certainly going to look towards someone who brings a different skill set. I've got, I can lay out a newsletter and run a mimeograph machine, you know, pretty well. I need the Twitter person, the, you know, 140 character master. Um, and so you, you've got to look toward those towards those things because none of this is going to change. This is not a fad. I mean, the generational thing is going to continue and the distance between them is only going to grow as people live longer, as people start working earlier. Um, it's just our workforce is going to be more diverse. And I think you could even, and this could be a whole other discussion, but you even talk about culturally. Um, there's lots of workshops that are done on, on communicating cross-culturally and, and really generational is really just a culture. So it, all these rules really still apply. Aaron, uh, that that idea of a reverse mentor, and I'm assuming the reverse comes in where you have a younger person uh, pouring into uh, an older person. What is that like for you being in this mentoring relationship? What do you as the younger party get out of that? Well, I like to say that I taught Ian to use emojis in his text, but that's not really (laughs) true. It just kind of makes for a a great (laughs) pity laugh when you're doing a presentation. Um, I you know, I think when you mentor, uh, regardless of of who the person is or how old they are or they are not, sharing knowledge and a wealth of knowledge and expertise is equally as gratifying to the person sharing it as the person benefiting from it. Because you you start to feel as though you have something credible that someone else can benefit from. And then it's also building friendships and collaboration. In school PR, many of us are in kind of unique positions where we have very small staff or maybe are a team of one. And so your your colleagues really are not people who work for the same district as you. They're people who are all over the state or all over the country. And so when I run into a problem, depending on what that issue is, I've got a list of people I can call. I mean, I know if I've got a question about a public information request, Ian's going to be my first call because he knows that law backwards and forwards. And so I would say he benefits from our friendship because he knows that he's got this information that he can share when somebody needs some help. And it it would be the same thing for me. I mean, the information just looks a little bit different, whether it's 
a new technology or a new way of looking at something or, you know, maybe even calling him to task on an inappropriate social media response, whatever that looks like. She taught me hashtags. It wasn't emojis. It was hashtags. <laughs> it was hashtags. <laughs> and then uh, as, as we think about working with students, what are the kinds of generational differences that are really important to keep in mind for, uh, for staff, whether they be certified or, or non-certified in a district? I think one of the biggest things that I've seen in working with high school students and then young staff, because there's not really a huge age difference in those two groups, is the lack of privacy and how they're fine with that. I mean, they they have never lived without social media accounts, not in their mature life. I mean, probably middle school forward. And I know I was late in college when I got my first social media account. So anything that I would have said or done or posted in middle school, in high school, in early college, there's no digital footprint for that. Thank goodness, and right? Thank goodness, right? <laughs> yeah. And so some of these, some of the, I hate to say younger kids because I think it sounds disparaging and I don't mean that, but some of the, our younger professionals and high school students don't have a great concept yet right. of how that digital footprint can follow them. And so they'll, they'll basically put anything online except how much money they make. I mean, that was a really weird anomaly that we found in the research is they're still quite private about how much money they'll make. They'll talk about how much money they owe, but about how much money they'll make, they still keep that kind of to themselves. And I think we're just sort of at the tipping point of seeing the long-term ramifications where we're going to see, you know, new politicians that everything exists online. I mean, this is, this is sort of a turning point in my opinion about what that's going to do. Let's do a little reflection here. I'd love to hear from both of you on this. Uh, what would you say is the most, the most important takeaway when thinking about how different generations communicate within the world of education? I think for me, it's that they want to be appreciated. They want to know that their feedback is valued and listened to. And when you say they, uh, who, who are you referring when, to? Whatever generation you're talking to, okay. um, they just want to know that, that their opinion is valued, that their work is valued, and that they're part of the organization. Everything else is sort of secondary because um, if, if they don't feel that, then you're just any efforts you do are going to be are going to be wasted. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like a cop out, but I, I kind of want to agree with Ian on that. I remember in some of the research that we did, it talked about a lot of the disconnect with generations was not that they couldn't get on board with the same ideas, but that they went about it different ways. So one group might desperately need to do trust exercises to build rapport. And then another group absolutely thought it was a gigantic waste of time. So that sort of thing that, you know, if you can get everybody in the room and you can figure out the different ways that everyone needs to communicate with each other, that then you can get to the end goal in the most productive way possible. Hmm. As you look at your respective school districts, Wiley and Crandall, are there specific action steps that you or your districts have taken in order to better facilitate this kind of cross-generational communication and, and, and better working relationships between the generations? Yeah, Aaron came and we presented to my staff. Um, you know, uh, you tell know, me I, about I, that. I, well, and and it was actually because we presented somewhere else, and a principal said, "You've got to have them come and do it for our staff because this is important stuff." Again, I mean, I, I think it's no different than dealing with any other situation where you're not reaching your audience. You know, whether it's because of a language barrier, whether it's because of a technology barrier, um, this is really just another example of making an effort to reach people where they are and respecting their opinion and, and what they bring to the table. Um, it just happens to be talking about age. And so if you think about it in that context, then it's really not 
as abstract. I mean, it's, it's just another situation where we've got to do a better job of making sure we reach our audiences, whether that's internal or external. Right. I agree. As professional communicators, that is our job is to find out where everyone is, what they know, what they need to know and how we can get it there. So if we can figure out how to get everybody on the same page and figure out the best way to connect with each one of those audiences, we have a much better chance as a school district of successfully getting our messages out. We have been speaking with Ian Halperin from Wiley ISD and Aaron McCann at Crandall ISD in Texas. Ian and Aaron, thank you both for taking the time to speak with me today. Well, thank you, Ryan. We appreciate it. Thank you for having us. Why do we put together this podcast? It's simple. At Frontline Education, we're passionate about education. We regularly publish new stories about leaders in K-12 who are doing amazing things. So if you like this one, click on that subscribe button and make sure you don't miss any of them. Frontline Education makes school administration software. It's built to help you hire the best teachers, find substitutes when teachers are absent, support your employees' professional growth, manage special education and other special student populations, get rid of paperwork, break down silos between departments, and turn all that data into information that you can use to make decisions. For more information, visit frontlineeducation.com slash fieldtrippodcast. For Frontline Education, I'm Ryan Estes. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.